Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchak, James Kernan, and Carl Polichuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Introducing Gatekeeper from Calyptic Security. Zero trust access securing RDP and SSH connections with two-factor authentication without open ports to the internet, client installs, or VPN. Two years of partner-driven development brings audit-friendly access across all types of devices. Reduce stress and implement proper safeguards as advised by the FBI, NSA, and DHS, all in a purpose-built solution for small businesses. Interested? Learn more by visiting calyptics.com gatekeeper, and when you do, tell them Carl sent you. Hi, this is Carl. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast. I'm joined today by James Norrie from CyberCon IQ, correct? Yes, Carl. Thank you very much. Pleasure so to be here is today. The, uh, is the CEO. He's also a professor of strategy and cybersecurity. How about that? So where are you a professor? Pardon me. I'm actually a professor at uh, York College, Pennsylvania, YCP, and I was the former dean of the business school, and I was recruited to start a cybersecurity program, which I'm pleased to report is thriving and doing well and churning out, of course, all of the necessary talent because we all recognize that there is really a scarcity of talent coming into this field. And I'm especially proud to report that our program now has almost as many women as men. So we're particularly proud of the fact that including women into the field, which I think is an incredible breakthrough. Right. Well, that's a huge thing. Uh, it's interesting. We used to have a higher percentage of women in this industry and something happened in the last 30 years. And so it's good to see a focus on, you know, making it more even again and getting a different perspective. You know, I always call it, you know, mixing up the mental DNA. <laughs> yeah, you know? I agree with you. Uh, what, wherever we can find diversity, we find more ideas. And so um, anyway, so uh, what uh, what is CyberCon IQ and uh, what do you do for a living? Well, thanks for asking, Carl. I teach for a living, as we talked about. That's my primary love. However, from the research that I was doing at the college, it began several years ago in 2016. I was faced with a client, in this case, a, a large global bank, and I had worked with the CISO for some time and his utter frustration at not being able to get investment bankers to follow the simplest of cybersecurity instructions, the basics, right? And it included things like running around on the trading floor and finding that people had written all their passwords on recipe cards underneath their keyboards or underneath right. their desk blotters, right, as an example. Um, it, it was the repeated phishing failures as an example and the fact that every time he went before the board for his quarterly cybersecurity review, inevitably, they focused on, you know, the percentage failed as opposed to the 80 or 90 percent that went through and the fact that they were addicted to this failing statistic. And anyway, the, all the things that I know and you know, Carl, that our clients struggle with, and of course, that in turn, your community's clients struggle with. And it doesn't matter whether they're a large enterprise or a small business. Everybody is at risk today. And so I then took that plus another startling statistic, which you would all recognize is that. Uh, Post-COVID, so almost, this is being recorded in April, almost uh, a year and one month to the day, we shut the U.S. economy down in the face of a global pandemic. And as we did that, we distributed 
all of the work and workflow and workers that we were accustomed to having in some proportion between being physically present at the office and being remote, we distribute them all, all of a sudden. And of course, this is not a technical problem. That's nonsense. It has nothing to do with our ability to support the, the scale of this technically, but it is a behavioral problem. So when I've looked at the whole complete picture of cybersecurity and the absolute incredibly clear increase in the risk that the distributed workforce has, that the COVID threat landscape has. I mean, in the quarter following last March, there was a 230% increase in COVID-related cybersecurity threats directed at your employees. And, you know, I just, I look at the whole thing and I wrote a book and the book is called CyberCon. And it really takes a very interesting tact, I think, that will maybe resonate with your listeners. I don't think we're ever going to be able to solve a problem that is created by technology with more technology. And I say that with due deference to AI and machine learning and the incredible um, progress we're all making as a profession on cyber hygiene and endpoint security and all the other stuff. At the core, I have a hypothesis that I think is really important, that this is actually a human and organizational behavior issue. And all you have to do is look at the various statistics that 79, 70 to 90% of the successful attacks now, Carl, involve some form of human factors to recognize that I think we're right. And the, the heart of the problem is human and not technical. So how about that for provocative? <laughs> Very good. Well, uh, clearly I agree with you. I mean, uh, in the, you know, I, I, I understate the threat by calling them bad guys, but the bad guys who are truly, truly evil, um, mm -hmm. They have AI, they have machine learning, and they always seem to be one step ahead. And they are. So, so no matter what the technology is doing, the technology to solve the problem is always one step behind. But you and I agree. At some point, a human being has to open an email and say, oh my God, I should click on that. And when they do, then they have problems because. 99% of the time, you have to actually say, please infect my computer. And if you don't do that, it doesn't happen. So, right. uh, you know, people are choosing to do this, whether they realize it or not. Um, so, and, so what does CyberCon IQ do to help the situation? Uh, so, so I will address that in one second. So I violently agree with you and you violently agree with me. We recognize it as a human problem and we recognize it as somewhat distinctly different. We actually think it is the intersection of behavioral science and technology that will solve the problem. And we have trademarked a phrase we like called cyberology, which is simply that. It's cybersecurity technology combined with psychology. So we actually think we should return to really what we all know as human beings. So let me ask you a question, uh, Carl. Perhaps you have um, kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews, you know, young children running around. Do you have young children running around somewhere? No, I'm, be I'm between young children. So my daughter is uh, old okay. enough to not be young, but uh, hasn't had kids yet. <laughs> All right. Well, when your daughter was young, you had to teach her how to cross the street safely, didn't you? Right. And what was the phrase you repeated as a parent over and over and over again to her, Carl? Look both ways. Before you cross the street. Okay. So that in, in, psych in psychology terms, that's known as be is behavioral modification. What you are trying to do is to replace her instincts, whatever those instincts were. Now, in my case, I had two very different daughters. We lived at the time in downtown Toronto, very busy city. And I had two daughters about two years apart. And my older daughter is 
practical and risk averse and just endemic to her personality is she does exactly what she's told or what's expected of her. She's been like that all her life. She was like that in school. So of course, when I teach her to look both ways, Carl, we also say, so we can avoid cars, right? So if you see cars coming, don't cross the street. We're teaching her how to do this. Well, my daughter takes all instructions like that quite literally. And so we lived in, a, in an urban city where pretty much there was never going to be much of a break in the traffic when we were trying to cross right. the street car. Right. But if she saw a car anywhere, she was not crossing that street, right? So for her, it was tempting her safely to cross the street when she felt that the risk and, and the timing were appropriate and how to adjudicate that. And so for her, it was overcoming that instinct. Okay. My other daughter, wonderful, bright, smart, creative. She's an artist. She's amazing. Love to hang out with her. Uh, this child would have run into traffic and, and killed herself in no time flat most of the time because what was going on around her didn't matter. So both children needed to overcome two distinctly different sets of instincts and impulses. And those instincts and impulses were derived from their personality. So what we've concluded is that cybersecurity and your behavior online, and we've proven this since, is actually a derivative of core aspects of your personality. In fact, it's derived from trait-based personality theory. And this is a very stable part of social and developmental psychology. So with great accuracy, we have an instrument, we've patented an instrument. It's about 40 questions, um, really simple, takes most people eight or 10 minutes. And we can predict how they behave online. Now, Carl, if we can predict how they, they behave online, we can also do something else. We can detect with great certainty, in our case, with a 98% correlation, what types of threats actually make them vulnerable by personality type. Because as it turns out, people clicking in the messages you were talking about is not random. People don't just randomly click on an, on an email. It's really interesting. It takes the right combination of the type of architecture of the threat vector itself, plus some idea of the content being um, appealing or not looking like it's out of place in order to trick the person. And you are right, the bad guys get access to technology before we do. So when everybody's talking about how AI and machine learning is gonna save us, I'm like you, I think the bad guys have already got this. And I think they're gonna scale up to the point where they're going to get very, very good at rapidly exploiting all kinds of vectors and messaging in combination, including hybrid attacks like phishing and smishing. And it's gonna be so easy for them that I do not think that unless we train at a fundamental level, we can help organizations avoid this. So, so I, wanna we, be, I wanna be clear. Yeah. So you've developed a tool to do basically yeah. a personality profile for how people respond to various potential attacks. Correct. And, and it's really not a profile. It's a developmental tool that gives people insight. We like to say it helps you understand yourself. Or in our case, we have a trademark phrase for it. It's save yourself from yourself. Right. Once you understand how you behave, you have a better shot at making yourself less vulnerable online. So it equips people to no longer be afraid. Because here's my fear. I think we've been slinging fear in cybersecurity, Carl, for way too long. And I think that fear, in the book, I explore this, a constant stasis of low-level fear, the idea that, look, I'm going to do everything I can to keep myself safe, but they're attacking all the time. So, you know, what? at some point, I'm just, I'm going to get breached. I'm going to get hacked. That's called fatigue-based or fear-based complacency. It isn't actually empowering people to feel good about their opportunity to protect themselves. It's making them afraid. 
So we take it as a different tact altogether. We say, look, let's equip people, not with training, but with education, with knowledge and self-awareness about who they are and how they respond. Then let's train them from that perspective. So back to our daughters crossing the street, Carl, once we've got them to understand their instincts and their impulses, now we can train them how to apply the rule to cross the street safely. We, we are doing something really interesting. We are delaying them giving into their impulse and we're, placing, we're replacing it with a planned response. This is known in psychology as stimulus and response. So when that email is sitting in front of you, Carl, and it's gotten past all of our endpoint security and our threat databases and that snippet of code or that, that request to recredential or whatever it is, doesn't matter. Once that's gotten in front of the employee, my question is simple. What are you doing in that last mile of your human firewall to make sure that they don't click? And I think that's how we do it. We, we actually have to interrupt their impulse and replace it with a planned response. Now, this then means our, our programs have nothing to do with cybersecurity knowledge. That's a given. We assume they understand the basics of that. It has to do with self-understanding and how they can mitigate their own vulnerabilities when they're online. And it's really amazing, as you might know in, in scientific terms, controlled randomized experiments. So if you have random populations of people to, to um, populations and you intervene and then you test if there's a difference in the populations, we have done that multiple times and we are four to six times more effective with this method of training than any generic equivalent. Because all other cybersecurity training is about rules, right? Carl, don't do this. Don't click on the attachment. Make sure you know who it's coming from. Did you check the... That's all rules. And what our assessment tells you is large numbers of people don't inherently follow rules or they don't trust rules. They trust their instincts and judgment more than rules. Right. Or in the moment, because they're distracted, they'll forget the rule, right? Situational distractibility. So our, our program focuses on really deep behavioral science concepts like mindfulness, as an example, as opposed to having a mindful, we say, be mindful. Because all of these people working at home now, Carl, they're all anxious. They're distracted. You know, you got probably one or two professionals working in the house. You got the dog running around. The kids are out of school because they can't go to school. I mean, to be fair to your listeners, all hell's breaking loose around them. So you know what? They're trying to work. And somebody says, hey, don't click on that attachment. You know, we have to be aware that this environment that we're expecting people to operate in is riskier for them psychologically. And so everything we do helps your, your uh, organizations help their clients focus on that. So when, uh, so if they're not called personality profiles, do you have yep. a name for the, the, the different types of approaches that people have? I mean, is there, I can imagine yes. one approach appeals to uh, executives, one approach appeals to technicians, one approach appeals to secretaries. Yeah, sort of. So here's what we do. So, so it's called a stylizer for lack of a better phrase. It's only designed to help somebody understand their innate style, how they behave online, right? And it doesn't really change by job or by role. It changes based on personality. So you have the kinds of people who are rule followers and risk averse. They like order and structure. They don't like chaos. They like everything to be quite sequential and linear. Those kinds of people, as you might imagine, are frequently found in finance and accounting and IT. And so there is an overlap between the demographic of somebody's personality and who they are and how they like to work, right? And then in the other quadrant, we have the people who are completely 
They love change. They get excited about change. The status quo is the bad, the enemy. They want to change everything all the time because they like new, 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 right? Those people are open to experience. They're sensation seekers. They're risky and they're risk takers. Now they're very, both those groups, very important to the organization's DNA, right? You can't change those people by taking out the risky ones and only putting in people who always follow the rules because you change the performance of the organization. So instead, we say to people, no style is bad. All styles are valuable, but all styles are vulnerable. And because those styles are all differently vulnerable, our job is to find a method to intervene, to train, to create self-awareness, to create some level of um, understanding about themselves that they can deploy when they need to, to keep themselves safer online. Now, you know, Carl, we can never get the risk down to zero. But if I could get the risk down to less than 2%, how would that, how do you think that would strike most of your clients? I think it'd be good. <laughs> it is very good. When you consider that on phishing tests, which is a frequent plague we use, I don't actually think they're all that great because they catch people doing something wrong, which is really unfortunate. However, if you're going to use that method, the national benchmark average is a failure rate after training of about 16.7%. Now, I find that really quite atrocious because that leaves most organizations pretty exposed. I think in, you and I would agree if right. 80 to 85% of the population can be trained not to be fished, but you've still got 10 or 15% to go, that 10 or 15% represents a lot of uh, risky clicks, right? Right. Well, you're, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Link. So. Right. So we actually endeavor to get that from where it is to under 2%. And how do we do it? Well, we consistently look at two things, not just the style, because that's important, but how we train that style, because how you train them is different. So you can't use the same training for all the people in your organization. Think about all the things in life we personalize. So Carl, do you go to the gym? No, no. <laughs> You're not a gym kind of guy. No. But if you were going to the gym, you might have a very different agenda at the gym than somebody else beside you, right? The, the young gym bunny beside you who's interested in building muscle and is young might be different than somebody who's going for cardio or to lose weight and keep themselves fit, right? So when you think about fitness and diet and the things we do for our health, we're all at a different age and stage of life, right? So we're going to have, we're going to share naturally only one thing. We may be all at the gym, but we're all going to be doing something different. And we're going to be doing it for a different reason and in a different rhythm or pattern. And we may go to the gym a different number of times a week. We may go with or without a protein shake. Okay. So we personalize so many things in our life. Do you uh, watch Netflix, Carl? Yep. Okay. So the Netflix interface is the ultimate in personalization. It is like the rabbit hole that Alice in Wonderland right? Down the rabbit hole you go, because look, you watch this one, you like this one. And if you really like that, Carl, how about you look at this? And then before you know it, 20 seconds later, up comes the first episode. And guess what? You're hooked, right? That's another example. Or the way Amazon positions, people who bought this also bought these, or they bought them in bundles or combinations. So when you look across our field, we understand how personalization and curating particular content in our the design of our interfaces and our websites, everything else works to create different outcomes in different segments. And then we come to cybersecurity. We train everybody the same way. We're completely ignorant of who they are or how they might respond or what kind of personality they have. We train them all the same way. And then we wonder why it doesn't work so well. Right. <laughs> so so um, that's how exactly is this training delivered? 
so it's all SaaS. It's all you know, software as a service. So it is a, um, a system that involves not just training because we don't consider ourselves just a, a security awareness training company. That would be too trite, quite frankly, and too limiting. So besides the assessment itself, which is easy, the assessment feeds a dashboard where we actually measure and put a number on the human factors risk for the organization. We actually make it measurable because we believe you can't begin a journey to being safer online unless you have a starting point. Could you imagine, Carl? I mean, you and I clearly just looking at our physiques and our ages, we're clearly both very athletic, right, Carl? I mean, it's just who we are. So I say to you, Carl, let's go on a little run or go enter a race. Would one of your first questions perhaps be how long that race might be? or where that race is, and are we going to run it on flat surfaces or hilly surfaces? You know, because you kind of want to know what you're signing up for, right? Right. Okay. Well, the same thing is true here. If you don't have a starting point and an end point, if you can't say something like, Carl, join me for a 200-foot sprint as opposed to a 25-mile marathon, right? You need a starting point and an end point for, for the meaningful question how do we go ahead and prepare for this race to occur? Well, in cybersecurity, you need a starting point and an endpoint measure for people risk. And then you need to understand whether you're on a sprint or a marathon. And it's going to be different for all of your organizations, right? It doesn't matter who you're servicing or how. If you have clients that you're trying to keep safer online, you need to figure out their starting point. And then you kind of move them along and you do so methodically with things like training. If you have serial, serial repeat offenders, one of the things we know when you fish employees, there's about a, a 66% recurrence rate in that population. So about two thirds of that population will show up more than once, right? You'll fish them, you'll train them again, you'll fish them again, they'll fail again, you train them again. I, I'm kind of asking you a crazy question, Carl. So Rita Mae Brown, famous philosopher said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And I just want to ask whether we are doing that in cybersecurity because we train them over and over right. and over again the same way, but we expect a different result, which is how come you still got fished? Well, if the training didn't work in the first place, the second place, the third, one makes us think it's going to work. So, so we have a product that's called Clicksters. We have a package. It's a fish fix package. It's like an inoculation. And it reduces phishing in most of the, the recidivists, you know, the, the population that clicks all the time by no more, no less than 45% and as much as 95%. And why? Because we don't do anything to do with phishing. We go into their minds and we say, so why do you clearly know what to do, but you won't do it? And we try to find the cause of why they won't do it. That's a different kind of intervention, right? Um, or you can, or you can use it, you can use our tool in your, in the sock. And you can do it to, to look at how you triage attacks. You know, there's a lot of things about that. Or maybe you're going to put in uh, two-factor uh, authentications for people who are, you know, really at risk of doing things. Like, so ours is a program that really is derived from measuring and managing human risk. And we really see it as a behavior modification platform. It's a whole series of tools um, and interventions that we can teach anybody uh, to use with their clients and it makes a measurable difference. And of course, back to fear. I don't think that we're going to be able to continue to use fear in the cybersecurity business to drive investments. I think that executive teams and boards of companies and owners of companies are getting tired of hearing that they have to invest money to keep themselves safe, only to realize that much of the money they have spent has not necessarily kept them safe.
Right. And so I, I think we're in a really critical time where ROI-based decisions about the kinds of interventions and tools and technologies that we're going to sell and install to keep our clients safer have to come with an ROI. And I don't know any other company in our business that is attempting to actually measure the human risk factors at an individual person level, right? So looking one by one at each individual, what are they vulnerable to? How do we fix it? How do we close that vulnerability? How do we change that behavior and prove we've changed the behavior so that the organization's risk posture improves and improves not just technically, but on a human level. All righty. So I want to make sure we get your website out there. We're almost out okay. of time. So let's make sure that people know to go to it's cyberconiq.com. It is. And uh, that's also, they can look for that on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and, and other things. And find they it. can. So We have um, a pretty big for, social media footprint. You'll find us pretty easily. And of course, they can always send me an email. It's just jnori at cyberconiq.com. I'd be happy to hear from anybody. Very good. And um, so, so how is this bought and sold? Like if I'm an IT service provider, mm -hmm. do I pay you per endpoint, per client, per domain name, uh, you know, how, sure. how is this uh, delivered? So super simple. We already have a, a number of uh, partners who are uh, reselling the product and we have a portal. You'd sign up for our program. It's pretty well defined. And inside there, you have the right to go and, you know, register a lead, claim a lead. Uh, we have all the paperwork you need. It's really sold on a uh, per employee basis, but there's a wide range of different products, right? So, and, and one of the things that's really neat is we will give all of our partners, all of our resale partners, access to what we call Cybermetrics, which is the platform we're talking about that measures the risk so that they can actually deploy it with their clients. And what we find is this product suite is especially valuable to people who really understand consultative selling and who can really work because the, the scorecard that we're giving you, which measures human risk, is not just about our tools and products. It's about all the products and services your channel partners provide. So it's about interventions around policy management and cyber hygiene and, you know, all kinds of things. So really, we're giving your partners and this community a chance to, from our perspective, improve their posture across any number of different things that makes a real measurable difference. And that for me is change the world stuff, Carl. So is this report in a format that I can easily uh, forward it to a client and say, here's what you did in February. Here's what you did in March. Yes. Uh, and, and yep. And it longitudinally tracks employees so they can say, you know, here's Bob no. and Jane. And <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not so much by employee, but by, the collective styles and how we close the gap. So it has a neat way. To, and again, I, I'm trying to get your users to sort of imagine if you like a single pane of glass that has the people factors and the human risk and what you're doing to reduce that and close vulnerabilities. It has a middle column around the, the maturity of high impact practices, many of which your, uh, your various partners are selling today. So what are you doing to make sure that their process posture improves? And then how do you do that at, a, at an external facing total IP space level? How do you continually scan that to make sure that those increases in maturity and increases in human factors, you also do the basics, right? Uh, the patching and the closing of the ports and the watching the dark room. Doing all. So it's a, it's a sort of a holistic view of how you can approach improving maturity and security of your clients and make sure that they get more than they pay you. And that of course is always going to make your clients happy. So I think, I think it's a win-win. It makes them better off. It brings you more opportunity to sell 
uh, not just products, but services. Services have more margins than products. So everybody I know, Carl, right now in the channel is looking for ways to layer in uh, service offerings. This tool really speaks to that because it lets you tackle the human side of this with a lot of service-rich offerings. So I think it's a real winning proposition for the channel. And uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of quarterly, uh, what I call roadmap meetings so with clients yeah. to say, yeah. where, where's your technology going and, and how are you, know, are you Im improving, sliding, you know, what, are, what are you doing and what's your budget and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so this would be a great way to quarterly just step in and say, hey, and, you know, yeah. let's talk and about you, security. <laughs> and you can actually, Carl, use this tool and manipulate it right with the client in the meeting. It's, it's a really neat thing. You can sit there and you can do what if analysis that says, well, you know, if we were to improve your levels of encryption, let's say, and data loss protection, if we were to consider uh, looking at improving your ROI on training by, you know, making it continual and layered instead of just a one-off event. And so we have a, a number of strategies that, that come with this. We have a number of videos that help our channel partners understand how to use the tool to drive that those conversations about um, offerings that improve maturity and security. So again, um, we've already got some great feedback from channel partners. So if anybody in at the end of this podcast is interested, they can go to the website and they can get in touch with us or they can reach out and we would be delighted to have our channel partner team get in touch. Very good. Well, thank you very much for being here. Any final words before we go? I think everything we do and everybody who does this is life-changing, world-changing work. And I'm always delighted when I get to meet a fellow professional and just have an opportunity to get a message out there that what we do, what we do really matters. And we just need to continue to find ways to do it better. And I think if you go to cyberconiq.com, you'll discover quite a bit there that'll help you do the, your work in the world better. And I think that's a great way to leave the end of the podcast. Very good. Thank you, Dr. James Nori from cyberconiq.com. Thanks for being here. This has been another SMB Community Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.